on when the next one is. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Exodus. You've got it on your sheet. You might already be open there, but we're looking... Actually, tonight, we're going to cover a lot of ground. We're actually looking, in a sense, at three chapters. We're going to look at the plagues, the ten plagues. Well, actually, nine. We'll talk about the last one next week. Um, some of you might have actually been down at uh, the city of Gulf Shores at the beach this summer in June. And if you were, you know that something unprecedented happened. Gulf Shores actually posted a double red flag and closed all the beaches. And the reason why they did that because, was because there were four drownings in less than 24 hours in the ocean. You see, there was this beautiful scenic ocean and it was calm and crystal clear, but just beneath it, there was this undertow or riptide that was so powerful that anyone that got caught in it, your chances of survival were slim at best. And the reason why I opened by telling you that story is because that's exactly what we're going to see tonight through the passage that we're going to look at. Through the ten plagues, God is wanting us to see something. And that is that no matter the photographic beauty on the outside of our lives, no matter how good we look on the outside, and no matter how much we have it together, and no matter how good we're doing spiritually, just beneath the surface in our hearts, there is an undertow, or a riptide, if you will, of rebellion that exist. And if it goes unchecked, it will create havoc and end up destroying your lives. That's the message, really. It's exciting, isn't it? That's the message of our passage tonight. Very sobering passage as we come to the plagues in this section of the book of Exodus. So before we dig in, I need to ask God to help us. Let's pray. Father, this is a, a crazy week out of our school year. Very busy. And there are people here tonight with all sorts of emotions. Uh, lots of anxiousness, lots of stress, lots of fear. And I pray that you would meet them and be near to them and comfort them and give them peace through your Spirit. Father, there are those here that are incredibly lonely and homesick. And I pray that you would give them community. Bring them friends. Give them folks around them that they can share life with. Jesus, there are those here that feel like a failure and not sure if they measure up. And I pray that you would give them a sense of how much you love them and your forgiveness tonight. Lord, I pray in the next 25 minutes that you would give us the ability to block everything else out and to hear a word from you. Show us that we're a bigger mess than we realize. 
But at the very same time, we're more loved than we ever dared dream. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been studying the book of Exodus this semester, and the theme that we're tracing through the entire book is that Exodus is the story of salvation. That it's the story of how God rescues his people. And what we're learning through our study is that Exodus takes words like salvation and judgment and rebellion and sin and forgiveness and deliverance and actually brings those words to life by putting them in the form of a story. Well, tonight we come to the ten plagues and we see the exact same thing happen. Tonight, through the book of Exodus, it's going to bring to life to us rebellion and sin and disobedience. And it's going to do it by putting it in the form of a story. So tonight, if you have your outline in front of you, we're going to look at three things. The plagues, Pharaoh, and then we'll look and finish up with looking at how this passage points us to the center of Scripture, who is Jesus. So let's look at number one, the plagues. We didn't read this, but we actually read the section of Scripture leading up to the ten plagues. And starting in verse 14, really for the next three chapters, God sends plagues upon Egypt. And remember, last week we said that Moses came to Pharaoh, and he comes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's reaction to Moses and his command to let the people go was basically, who is this Lord? I'm not sure I care what this Lord has to say. Thank you very much. Well, we get to the plagues, and God shows Pharaoh exactly who he is. And he shows Pharaoh why in the world he should listen to him. And listen, tonight, we're not going to go through every plague. That would take the next ten weeks of the semester, and it would be time to go home. And, to, and that might disappoint some of you, and if it does, I'm sorry. But to be honest, it really wouldn't be that helpful to you. But the question I want us to ask when we think about the plagues is, why did God do it this way? Have you ever asked that question? I mean, think about all the ways God could have gotten Pharaoh's attention. I mean, he could have struck him down with lightning. Or maybe he could have even revealed himself similar to the way that he did Moses. And he could have burst into flames and actually called Pharaoh by name and kind of shocked him out of his hardness of heart and brought him into reality. But he doesn't do that, and the question is why? And I hinted at it earlier, the reason that he doesn't do that is because he is telling us a story through these particular plagues. God is showing us something. He's showing us a very vivid picture of rebellion and sin and disobedience through the ten plagues. And here's what I want us to see. I want you to see this about the plagues. Simply put, the plagues are creation reversals. 
Did you ever think about it? And if you can even flip in your Bible ahead a few chapters and look at some of the different plagues, but they're all natural things that God has created and that He is in control of, and He uses them in order to pronounce judgment on the Egyptians. In other words, what we see is the natural response of creation to human sin and evil is chaos. In other words, we see that rebellion against God is rebellion against His created order. Listen to this quote. As I was studying, there's a commentator on the book of Exodus, and his name is Peter Enns, and listen to what he says about the plagues, and think about them, okay? The plagues are creation reversals. In the plagues, we see animals harm rather than serve. We see light ceases and darkness takes over. Water becomes a source of death rather than a source of life. And the climax of Genesis chapter 1 is the creation of human beings. And the climax of the plagues is the destruction of human beings. What is God doing? God is showing us through the plagues what happens when we ignore His design for our lives. God is showing us through the plagues that sin and destruction and disobedience is way more than breaking a rule. Way, way more than breaking a law. It is actually going against the fabric of who you are as a human being created in the image of God. The plagues show us that life cannot function properly unless God is at the center. And if we attempt and decide to act like Pharaoh and rebel against God and be our own God and be our own rule maker, if you will, then it will lead to our undoing and unraveling as a person and as a human being. That's what sin does. And unfortunately, some of you have had this experience, either with a a family member or with a friend, or maybe you yourself have experienced this, but you've walked into the doctor's office and you've heard those dreaded words come out of the doctor's mouth. You have cancer. Why is that so disturbing to us? Well, because... Cancer, unless something radical is done, the disease will kill us. It will literally eat us from the inside out. Because that's what cancer does. And so what do we do? Well, think about what we do in order to eradicate cancer from our lives. We inject ourselves with radioactive chemicals. We endure the long process and the grueling process of chemotherapy. And we go to such extreme lengths in order to get things cut out of us. And here's my question for all of us tonight. If we will do anything in our power to eradicate cancer from our bodies... But when it comes to dealing with sin 
and disobedience and rebellion, which the Bible says is even more lethal. Did you know that? Even more deadly. But instead of doing everything in our power to eradicate it, instead we often say, who cares? Is it really that big a deal? Whatever. Friends, this passage is calling us to see sin in a brand new way. A way in which we maybe have never seen it before. Because it's saying that sin is way more than just breaking a rule. Is it that? Absolutely. But that's an inadequate view, this passage says. Because the plagues, they come and they show us that sin is a killer. That it actually seeks to destroy us. You see, this passage shows us that if anything other than God is at the center of our lives, then it will actually undo us and cause our life to fall apart. For example, if you make friends the most important thing in your life, or you make being in, in this place, the most important thing in your life, you will end up alienating people because people will not be able to handle the weight of your neediness. And you will end up all alone and you will fall apart. If you make success and wealth and work the most important thing in your life, mark my words, your spouse will despise you. Your friends will resent you. And your children will blame you and become bitter towards you. Why? Because work was never supposed to be the center of your life. And if it becomes the center of your life, then it will end up destroying you. It's only when God is at the center will your life not fall apart. Number one, we see in this passage the plagues and what they show us. And secondly, we see Pharaoh. Look at verse 3. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Whoa. Some of you are looking at that and that freaks you out. That's freaked a lot of people out over the years in church history. And if I'm honest with you, I would rather skip over this section tonight. But the Bible doesn't let me skip over it. And the reason why the Bible doesn't let me skip over it, because friends, it's actually a theme that we see throughout the entire Bible. And some of you are sitting here tonight and you're asking this question, how in the world can God do this? I don't like it. And can I give you an honest answer? I have no idea. All I can offer is that He's God and we're not. 
And some things, sometimes God does things around us and in our lives that we don't understand and things that don't make sense to us. But if we accept God for who He is and who He says He is in the Bible as absolutely sovereign, as completely in control and all-powerful and all-knowing and all-wise, then it forbids us to demand an answer to that question. And if you refuse to think about God in that way, then you don't have a real God. Instead, you have a God that is a projection of your own imagination that you have actually created in your own image. In other words, you're not in a relationship with the real true God unless you allow for things that don't make sense to you. Unless you allow for things that you might not understand. Think about it this way. Girls, let's say you're dating a guy and the relationship is progressing nicely. But this guy comes to you and says, listen, I really like you a lot. I think you're great. But in order for us to move forward, some things are going to have to change. Not with me, the guy says, but with you. You need to change your hairstyle and your hair color. You need to get your teeth whitened. Oh, and by the way, quit being so stubborn. Oh, and one more thing. Stop disagreeing with me when we talk about issues. Girls, if a guy came and said that to you, what would you do? What would you say? It would probably start with, bye. (laughs) And you would say, there's no way we can have a relationship. Because that's not what a relationship is. You would look at them and you would say, you're not letting me be who I am. Because you've already made and created me into your image. And we could never have a real relationship. That's exactly what we do with God. We come to a passage like this and we don't like it and it's hard and we don't understand it and instead of worshiping God as He is, we worship God as we want Him to be. And God refuses to be tamed. But there's something else that I don't want us to miss. And it's actually easy to miss. If you notice in the first five plagues, you can flip through these later, but Pharaoh, the passages indicate and tell us, actually hardened his own heart towards God. But in the second five plagues, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And if we accept that at face value, it should shake us to the core of our being. And you know why? Because it tells us that there is a very complicated relationship between your own resisting of God's purposes in your life and God allowing you to go on your own way and do clearly what it is that you want to do. This passage clearly shows us that Pharaoh is 100% responsible before God. 
And it also shows us in side by side that God is 100% sovereign and in control. And it forces us to deal with that tension. And it is a tension, friends, that we see throughout the entire Bible and throughout all of the Scriptures. And most of us, when we get to this point, here's what most people do. They get so frustrated because they get caught up in trying to figure it out. God's 100% sovereign, the Bible says, and man is 100% responsible. And we get caught up in trying to figure that out, and here's the problem. You can't figure it out. You'll never figure it out. Why? Because as I said earlier, He's God and we're not. It says that His ways aren't our ways. His thoughts aren't our thoughts. Romans 11, His ways are beyond tracing out. And the point is not to figure all of this out so that it makes sense to us and so that we can put God in a nice clean box. Thank you very much. You know what the point of the passage is? The point of the passage is to force you to deal with your own heart. The passage is meant for you to think about your own sin and to think about your own rebellion and to ask, is my heart growing hard towards God? Is my heart growing cold towards Jesus? And you see, whether you think about it or think it's true or think it's here or not, this passage is actually the plagues. It's actually full of mercy. Full of grace. I mean, think about it. Remember the last plague to kill all the firstborns of the Egyptians. Notice that's number 10. And God in His grace and mercy makes it number 10 because He could have made it number 1. And He could have come right off the bat to Pharaoh, but why doesn't He? And you know why He doesn't? Because He gives Pharaoh opportunity after opportunity to repent and to soften and to turn to Him and to receive grace. And what about you? Will you turn in the midst of your sin and disobedience and receive grace? Friends, the passage is not for us to say, God, why are you like this? How could you do this? This is about me. And this is about you. And it begs the question, is will we let the pain and the heartache of our sin, disobedience, and rebellion What will we do with that? We've all got it. Me too. Will we run to Jesus with it? Or will we let the disobedience continue to burn pathways in our heart? That's what the question, that's the question the passage is trying to get us to ask. So we see this passage tells us something about the plagues something about Pharaoh, and lastly, it points us to Jesus. You see, once we start to unlock this, 
in our heart, the sin and rebellion and the messiness, we realize pretty quickly, if you're honest with yourself, that it's going to take way more than a better devotional plan. Way more than an accountability group. Way more than being more disciplined in prayer to actually change us and to fix us. When I was 10 years old, I'm not sure if I've told any of you this story before, but when I was 10 years old, I was hit in the face with a baseball. And I was watching one of my friends warm up in the bullpen, and the fence was low, and so I was leaning over the fence like this, and I was talking to my friend on my left. And right, I wanted to see my friend pitch. And so right about the time I turned to the right, he's already released the ball. It's a wild pitch, and it, I have no time to react. And right when I turn around, it meets me right between the eyes. Coming fast. <laughs> okay, wasn't a softball. <laughs> it was a fastball. And... Some people have broken their nose, and people break their nose all the time, and there might be a bump on their nose, and they just live life, I'll deal with it. Or some people, you know, even their nose might be a little crooked, but you can't tell that much, and it's not really altering their life that much, and so they just kind of keep living, and it heals itself. Not me. (laughs) I remember going to the doctor, and I remember vividly asking the doctor this question. Okay, so I know that we're going to fix this, but before we fix this, is there anything I need to be doing? Like, is, is it okay to play basketball, which I love? Is it okay to play football? Is there anything I shouldn't do? Should I not go to baseball practice anymore? And he says, Jason, listen, you can do anything you want. You can go play tackle football right now without pads. It's not going to matter because your nose could not possibly be broken any worse than it is right now. <laughs> And I remember thinking in that moment that my nose (laughs) was so messed up and so distorted and so twisted that it had to be completely remade, completely rebuilt. Friends, my only hope at fixing it was that someone would come from the outside and do surgery on me. That's your only hope too. And that's my only hope. Our only hope tonight as we sit here in the midst of our sin, the only thing that can straighten us out is if someone comes from the outside and does surgery not on our nose but on our heart. You see, that's what the plagues are meant to do. And we didn't have time to read them all tonight, but I encourage you to read them this week. And as you read them, here's what they're meant to do. They're meant to point you to the true solution. The plagues are meant to take us to the end of ourselves and to give up hope in everything else but Jesus, who is our true solution. How is Jesus our true solution? Well, think about it. Thousands of years later from this event of the plagues, the God of Exodus takes on human flesh in the form of Jesus Christ and he starts to demonstrate the same power over creation through his miracles. Have you ever thought about the miracles? 
The miracles show us something. Think about the first miracle. Jesus goes to a wedding and he turns water, not into blood and not into death, but into something much better. He turns it into wine, into something life-giving. And then there's a storm, and people are scared and afraid for their life because they're about to die, and Jesus comes and he calms the storm, and he calms the wind. And then we see Jesus running up against folks who all they can see is darkness because they're blind. And he heals them so that they can now see and have sight. And then he comes to people like us and he does the greatest miracle of all. He takes our hard, Pharaoh-like hearts that are dead and he breathes life into them and makes them soft and makes them alive. Do you see it? The miracles are unplagues. They're not an undoing, think about the plagues, of creation. They are a restoration of the creation. That's what Jesus is doing in you. He's remaking you into something totally new and different and better and more beautiful. And here's the question, how does He do it? You know how he does it? He goes to a cross and he hangs on a piece of wood and is crucified. And as he's hanging on the cross, you know what happens? He receives the greatest plague of all. The wrath of God for your rebellion and for your sin. Tim Keller says that our Maker on the cross was unmade so that He could remake you and me. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that You have not left us in our sin but that you have provided a solution for our sin.